Yo, what's up, guys? Today was an awesome uh, conversation with Devin Wright of Lumo. Devin sold his previous business to Yelp and then uh, started an orchard and then discovered that irrigating his orchard was a big problem. Asked some folks about how they watered their own vineyards and orchards and such and discovered that there was no compelling solution other than driving around and turning valves on and off. So he invented uh, Lumo. And we get into uh, how it's like living in Occidental, which is about an hour, two hours north of San Francisco, how he got into the business and um, thoughts on social media and um, how he's building this company. It's an awesome conversation, super enjoyed it. And uh, we know that you guys will too. Okay, so you're now in the irrigation business. What'd you do before? Like, were you a water engineer? No, no, I didn't have any experience in water or in agriculture. I guess that's kind of like how I am. I don't really like, I don't think you need much experience to, to dive into something. You know, I, I never really thought about that. That is, you know, need to need a bunch of credentials to justify going and doing something. I just, totally. I look at a problem where I see an opportunity and I just think like, well, that's interesting. Well, I'm going to go research that, see if it stays interesting. And then after a few months, it's still interesting. I put a little more energy into it. And if it keeps staying interesting, you know, a year later, you, you all of a sudden have like learned a lot and, uh, you have a good sign to yourself that maybe this is something you want to stick with. So that's kind of what happened with this one, with this business. I'd moved out to California in 2017 when I sold my first company to Yelp and, uh, I was from Canada. So, you know, we have so much water up there. I didn't even think water shortages were a real thing, uh, anywhere near me, anywhere in like the, you know, North America. And then I moved to California and it was like peak drought. You know, it was just like, geez, this is crazy. Like just such a different world when water's a consideration and it's short. And I'd moved out to this little town, Occidental. And uh, it was, you know, it's groundwater fed. Everything in this town's groundwater fed. It's, we have a big ag scene and they use a lot of groundwater, Russian river water to irrigate all the crops up here. And, you know, being in a community that had like real water shortages, like where people's water was running out and where they had to like truck water in just to kind of keep the toilets flushing. It was a big eye opener of like, man, this is crazy. It's supposed to be like one of the most developed parts of the world and we're still suffering from, you know, water shortage. And, um, when you live in an agricultural community, that's even more of a thing. Yeah. It's even more eye opening because, you know, I try and grow, I, I have an orchard and trying to grow your own food and just having, you know, you, you just take this really like, there's a big sense of urgency to like, how do I get control of my water? How do I make sure I'm only using the amount that I want? How do I catch like leaks or breaks or things that could cost me, you know, big tanks of water and having a technology background, I was like, I know there, I knew there was ways to do it. I knew there's like the IOT and hardware, you know, that was helping my thermostat stay smart. You know, it's helping my food disposal stay smart. Like how are those technologies not been applied to irrigation, which is like the biggest user of fresh water in the world by a long shot. So that, 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 I, I kept looking, I kept assuming, man, there must be something out there. I'm just a small fry, you know, the farmers must have something better than I, you know, know And so I just kind of drove around to my neighbor's houses and their vineyards and stuff. And I was like, what do you do? You know, how do you, how do you control water? How do you, how do you monitor your systems? And they're like, yeah, we don't, we just drive around on ATVs and turn it on and off, you know, like that we've tried the stuff in the market and they're just seem too complicated or too expensive or not reliable enough. And so I was like, oh shit, there's a real, that's a real opportunity. Let me see what I can do. And yeah, it's kind of, like I said, the take from there to a business. That's interesting. So like the, what they would do is they would just like drive around, turn on the spigots and like that, that's it basically on a cyclical thing. And that what the prevailing solution was. Yeah, I'd say that's the biggest competitor for us. It's manual, manual, doing it manually, setting an alarm on your phone, drive around, open a valve for six hours, come back six hours later, turn it off, walk up and down the lines to see if there's any broken lines, 
you know, God, pretty, pretty labor intensive. Yeah. So was the, or so you had the orchard first or, yeah. okay. Yeah. Got yeah. it. And so you had the orchard and you were like, this seems like a pain in the ass to like, keep this properly hydrated. Certainly people have to be doing something like more innovative than just like walking around and you were like, no, they're not. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and like, it, it's not, it wasn't just the, you know, annoying part of turning on and off things. It's, it's like the cost of, of not doing it properly. Right. Like if you forget to turn off the, the valve or even if you did turn off the valve, but you didn't know you had a broken line somewhere down the field. I mean, we're talking large plots of land too, right? We're talking like hundred acres. How do you, how do you visually inspect a hundred acres to know if you've got broken lines in places? Like even my little orchard is only about a half an acre. There's, you know, the, the way the topography is, you know, and the way the lines are spread out. I mean, I've had the situation where I drove my tractor around, you know, I was mowing and I accidentally caught a line. I didn't see, I broke the riser off. I go up to my house. I come back down. I turn on the water thinking, yeah, good. I'll be back out two hours. And I come back in two hours and my tanks are, are, you know, empty. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? How did I use that much water? And then I'd look, walk around and I find a broken riser and it was in the grass. So I didn't see it. It was, you know, draining my whole tank into the, into the river. Like, my crops are suffering, but I also just lost, you know, 500 gallons of water, like 500 gallons of water is a lot of water, man. That's like, yes. you know, when that's the same water you use to flush your toilets and to, you know, wash your, your body, like, and drink. And you only have so much in the ground and you know that your neighbors are running out. You're like, yo, that is not that I don't want to lose 500 gallons. And I'm small fry, man. Like if you run a commercial operation, you could be using, you could be pumping a thousand gallons a minute, you know, like, so you, wow. you, if you have a broken line and you don't know about, you know, that can be real catastrophic. So that's the thing I think a lot of people don't really appreciate. It's just the volume of water being used in ag and, you know, the cost of a mistake, not just like financially, right? Like the water loss, the crop damage, the, you know, pump that could get damaged by pumping an empty tank and so on. I just hit me up like, geez, this is a real urgent problem. And I, cause I don't think a lot of people are so aware in the tech community. I don't think they've thought really to put their back into it. Right. So what was the, what was the business you had before this? You sold the business to Yelp. And so that I was my first yeah, technical company, I guess I've always been kind of making selling stuff, but my first like formal company out of school. Um, and yeah, it was like a local marketing platform. It was like a CRM almost or a marketing automation tool. And um, we originally built it for our band. For our band. Um, we were trying to find a better way to connect with people in physical venues. And this was like 2012. You know, there was, there was like social media was exploding and a lot of mobile apps were being built. Everyone was obsessed with like, how do we do stuff in, in the on the on the phone? You know, how do we connect people online? And we were just feeling like, how do you connect people in the real world? That's still a real problem. You know, like if you're, you know, majority of businesses are actually brick and mortar. And if you're a band, you know, you especially feel it because like no one's going to download your band app. No one's going to, you know, follow your band page. Um, your best option is to kept connect with people at the show because that's where they've come out. You know, they're out of their way. They're in, they've spent money. They're in the, in the room in front of you. You know, how do you build something that would allow those people to connect with you live so that you can then maintain a relationship with them after the fact? So that was a problem we were trying to solve. We ended up solving it through like this little Wi-Fi innovation. And we hacked a router and we built a bunch of technology that would allow people to use their phones to connect on-premise. They could sign into the Wi-Fi network and we, we would be able to like get information and, and, you know, walk them through kind of an onboarding process. And that would allow them then to, you know, end up in our CRM. And then we would be able to see that device anytime it came to one of our shows. So we, we would kind of bring this router around all of our shows. If someone would come back to the show, we'd, we'd have pre-programmed like an alert that would say, hey, thanks for coming. You know, we saw you last week. It's so cool that you're here again. Like, you know, now here's a free beer on the band, you know, being a loyal fan, things like that. It was just kind of like a fun little hacky thing at the time. So sick. And so like, I mean, basically you guys would just bring this router and then like the people, they would just connect to this Wi-Fi 
Yeah, because you'd auto reconnect, right? If you've ever connected the first time, you'd auto reconnect. And then we would, and then the CRM's job was to use that data to like figure out what were the right messages to say to you. You know, if it was the 10th time you've been reconnected, like that's a really good fan, right? So then you would say something different. Then if it was the first time someone reconnected or first time someone ever connected, then you'd say, oh, thanks. We've never seen you before. Like, thanks for being here. Um, so it was meant to be like, we called it like cookies for the real world. It was like, <laughs> it was meant to, to connect people in physical locations to the, to the physical location or to the, you know, band or brands that were on it on premise. And it was fun. It actually got some legs. Um, that's cool. But yeah, that was, that, I mean, now you talk about it and it sounds so funny. Cause I don't even know if you'd be able to do that. They've done so much with like Mac addresses and privacy i don't even know if that'd be possible anymore but it was back then it was pretty fun and then yeah that sounds like I mean, that sounds dope like i could so like would you guys like when you guys got on stage be like all right connect to this wi-fi yeah yeah okay that's sick like yeah i still think there's like a play there i don't i i mean i had to move on you know it's like i've done that for like 10 years or yeah. i don't know how long it was, it was like five years of building it and then we sold it and then there was a few years of doing it at yelp and then we pivoted it into being more of like a marketing platform on Yelp, you know, but still I had to get up. I had to just like, I'd done it for too long, but I still, I still think that, you know, we're way too obsessed with how our phones and how our social media connect us to other people online. And there's not really a killer app for how do you connect with people in a physical venue? Like how, how do you walk into a bar and like, you know, the bar has so much rich content. There's like all these people there that maybe you know or don't know, or maybe you know someone they know. And like, nice. you, you want to meet people at a place. How do you like figure out who's in the room? How do you get like leads on who to connect with? There's brands in that venue too, right? Like there's, you know, alcohol beverages, there's food beverages or food uh, brands that are interested in connecting with people on premise. There's often live music or there's other bands, you know, it's crazy. You can go around the web and there's so much like tracking and connectivity being used to target you. And, and like, it almost has gone way too far, right? Like you, you, you're like such a commodity, you're such a product on the web now. And yet, like when yes. you walk into a venue, there's just nothing like that. You're like still just kind of your phone just, just silent and you just keep it in your pocket. And then, and the only time you pull it out is to remove yourself from the venue, right? It's to like, is to, is to, is to go on Instagram while you're sitting in this fucking venue. Like, and yeah, I, like what's you know there's something missing right the phone should be there's some app there's something there i don't know what it is yet but it, you know you're so right so i used to i used to live overseas and one of my buddies who's like super into like i don't know if you were foursquare yeah like he'd be used to he'd be like into like i'm the fucking mayor of this such and such place i'm like what do you get do you get anything cool like are they giving you extra money or like beer or something he's like no I'm just the mayor i'm like well, who sees it? He's like, other four square years. I'm like, do you know who these people are? Have you ever met them? He's like, no. I'm like, what the fuck? So there has to be something like more dope and like connected than that, that like the Brit, like you can create loyalty programs. There's so uh, much there for sure. Like you can meet people. Yeah, I've, I've done stuff. Like I've done stuff to like see, like to kind of manually Turk, Turk this. So like <laughs> I, I went into, I, for a while I would go just up, up to a random table. And I would say, open your Facebook. And they'd be like, who the hell are you? I'd be like, just fucking trust me. Just open your Facebook. <laughs> so they would open their Facebook. I'd be like, type my name. And they would type it in. Yeah. And then it'd be like six mutual friends. And I'd be like, click on that. And they'd like pull up the six mutual friends. And they'd be like, oh, you know, fucking blah, blah, blah. And then bam, like the table's unlocked and you're like talking to these people. And now yeah. you're friend, now you're friend. Now you're like getting along with the, the thing. And you know something about each other. Or yeah. you could do the same thing with interests, right? Like pull up your favorite interest. Boom. Oh, you love the Leafs too? Like, oh, I'm a huge Leafs fan. Oh, yeah. You see the game last night? Like, right away. I've done this so many times and it works pretty much every friggin' time. And, it, you know, I recognize there's like a creepiness factor and you need to be able to filter it. But these are solvable problems. There's so much rich, like, information that you can connect to use to connect to people. I, I've done this with drop, with uh, airdrops too. Like, I'll like take a picture of my face holding a beer and just write, like, if you find me at the bar, I'll buy you a beer. And I would just like airdrop it to anyone who's who's in the in the venue that has airdrop open. And like oh, yeah. so many times I have had 
amazing nights, like where people will just come up and be like, are you the guy who just airdropped this? I'd be like, yeah, here's your free beer. Like, let's start hanging out. And then like, we would be laughing. And then someone beside me like, do well, what are you guys laughing at? Do you guys know each other? I'm like, no, we just like airdrop this thing. And then he'd be like, that's hilarious that he'd be having a beer. And like, we've done like some cool stuff like that. And I'm like, there's a fucking app for this. I don't know who's going to make it. I'm too, I'm too old to make it now, man. But <laughs> someone needs to make it. <laughs> That's dope. Okay. Yeah, I can I've never done shit like that. Just that, try it. You'll be so blown away. You, I I will go to the bar this weekend and I will fucking try. Try it. That sounds super fun. It is. In worst case, it's just a funny, it's just like you're like fun because you're just ripping around like hacking shit. It's really fun. Do you do you like what other shit have you tried sort of like in the physical space like that? Cause I love those two examples airdropping shit and then just going up to like a random table and being like what are our mutual connections do you have anything else actually maybe one other cool thing we used to do as a band i had i have this friend's name adrian Wynn. he's the craziest guy but he's willing he's the guy who like he'll he'll try anything he, he doesn't he <laughs> yeah. has no no embarrassment he just like to, to, to he loves figuring out how people tick and um he would do this thing too where we he would try to um basically when we were playing shows he would uh he'd like watch the dance floor and he'd kind of watch how the dance floor filled up and like it's like anything like the first while of a, of a show like no one's really on the dance floor because who no one wants to be first no one's there yet so that you know right. just, everyone's kind of standing on the sideline and then he would do things like um rewards for the first person to dance so like the first person would get on the dance floor do this he would just like grab the mic like that person you're the first dancer like Here's your free beers. Like anytime anyone's the first answer at our show, they get free beers. Like it would immediately unlock the floor. Like and everyone would join, like trying to see if there was a new prize for them. And uh, and then it actually became like a thing, like where people would know, like if I get there and I'm dancing first, I get some, you know, I get some stuff. And then that would like make the dance party happen earlier and that bring more energy. So there was some fun stuff like that. He, he was, he was the wizard with stuff like that. He called it fan garden. He was like trying to grow the, <laughs> grow the fans. He was, he was pretty good too. And That's, he ended up building an app that was trying to do some of this stuff and it didn't make it, but it's complicated. There's a way, there's a yeah. way. Yeah. There has to be a way and it has to be better than fucking like I'm the mayor of place because i'm like what's the point of that shit yeah there's no outcome right like it's just <laughs> vanity that it's not going to last for long but it yep. goes to show you there's a group of people like the, the, even that even that small gamification is some is enough of a motivator that yeah. it, it just it gives you an insight like people are willing to do this sort of thing it's like how do you keep how do you make it valuable for people how do you create a system of record from it that becomes valuable to that person either for their own ego or for their network or for you know their relationships to the brands they love you know how do you how do you unlock something so that they want to keep doing it and so that more of the of the network gets involved i don't know yet but it's i mean there's something there because i i think especially like social media has become so toxic um you know and if you talk to any parent who's got like a 10 or year older kid yeah i, I read a stat the other day that it's like more than 50 percent of of girls between 10 and 15 spent up to seven hours seven hours a day on social media like it's it's not it's like your life is gone at that point your life is gone right you're not if you're spending seven hours a day on social media you have a severe addiction and your life is going to suffer you're you are now being pulled away from meaningful human interaction that is necessary for your mental health and and so like we've gotten way too good at connecting people online and it's at the cost of their ability to connect offline and in the real world and in with you know more meaningful connections i think we've gone so far in that direction that there is going to be a really strong demand for some in person or real world social media application that that can use a lot of the same tools that were used to make social media so successful and fun and whatever that that kept people coming back um but probably with some guardrails and and definitely like with the with the intent of bringing people together in the real world because we are like at a huge community community deficit right and it's causing a major major mental health health crisis so technology te technologists have to to think about how to do do something to bring people back to the real world or else it's just going to get legislated dude it's too easy to get fucking stuck on the instagram scroll or oh yeah scroll yeah. 
you can't even have that shit on your phone. I like no, I delete them all. I, I don't have any of them anymore because I, I in 2016, I don't know what it was, took a turn, and it was like Facebook became so unbelievably hard to be a part of, just toxic. Wow, and that a- Instagram was like pretty cool for a while. But then, yeah, like I just catch myself like 30 minutes later, I'd be, I'd go to my phone to like do something else. And then I'd be like sitting there 10, 10, 20 minutes later, just click, click, click. What am I doing? Right. Like, and, that, and those moments of like boredom that you're used to have and you used to use for like contemplating the universe or yes. recognizing that cats are cool or like petting yeah. your animal or like, you know, talking to your spouse, you know, we're just sitting there doing this. Like it's, it's going to be, I don't think we've seen even the, the tip of the iceberg on what this is going to do to mental health. I think we have a long way to go. Yeah. So like, what, what are some of your like personal habits in terms of technology use? Cause you seem very like strongly opinionated. on it. Yeah. Like, so no social media, you know, the only thing I have is LinkedIn. Um, and I, and I, and by the way, they are getting quite good at getting you to just scroll too. Like I do catch <laughs> myself in there. I'm like, ah, but I, you know, for me with LinkedIn, I personally use it because it's like my business, right? And it's my business network. And I, you know, I work, I work through it. You know, I've found really great um, relationships through it. The content I put on it has helped me attract employees. It's helped me attract investment. It's helped me connect with other founders. Um, so as much as I do find it, it pulls me in. I mean, it pulls me in during the eight hours of day that I'm working anyway. So it's like, to me, it kind of makes sense. And for some people that, you know, Instagram makes sense because that's their business too, right? But um, I deleted the, you know, I never, I never had TikTok. I just got too old to have that. So that's probably not a choice as much as I just like, don't, I'm, I'm, I've, yeah, that that's for the generation below me, I think. Uh, Instagram, I've deleted, uh, Twitter, I've deleted, although Twitter, I've been using more and more, um, as just like a news source, you know, try to, try to do that. Facebook, I've deleted. I mean, I work in the Valley. I've seen I've seen how good they are at their job. They will get your attention. They're spending billions and billions and billions of dollars with the smartest PMs and the smartest engineers in the world focused on how to get you to keep picking that thing up and keep scrolling. And they have no intention of it being educational for you. They have no intention of it being, you know, uh, healthy for you to connect with the, you know, they're not sitting there being like, oh, my North Star is how many times did you call your mom this week? Or, oh, my North Star is how many times did you like, you know, play chess and, and learn something this week? Their North Star is like, how many minutes did you use on this thing? And th- and then the questions of like, was it used yelling at people over politics or, van- you know, value sig- virtue signaling or, yes. you know, being angry? They don't care. They do not care at all. They they have no interest in that. And so when you see that, you're like, you have to be insane to think you are going to outsmart them and that you are going to be able to win your time back. You are have to be actually clinically insane. These are this is like being up against NASA trying to like with 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 no resources trying to beat them to the moon. You're just never, ever, ever gonna do it. So I just felt super outgunned. Yeah. I felt them taking more time and I was like, I just want that time back. I wanna write a book. I wanna, you know, play with my cats. I wanna <laughs> like, you know, plant my orchard. I don't I can be sitting around doing this all day. So I had to get, I had to get rid of those. Um, and then notifications. I mean, one of their main ways, one of them, one of them, any apps ways to get you is, is the notification at the bubbles. Oh shit. One extra like, well, I better get back in there. So I delete, I turn off all notifications on my phone as well. I, I, that way I, and by the way, I still get in there. You still are trained. Oh, I got to open up and see if I have an email. You still do it. But at least you, at least you aren't being pinged into it all the time. So that's another thing. But other than that, those are kind of the two major ones. I also try to like push the apps. Like I have a lot of pages on my like home screen. So I have to like scroll to get to like apps that are less, you know, so the things I need, I put on the first page and the things I just like want to be less and less in my life. I push further to the right so that I have to like work to get to them. I do things like that. Totally. What about you? No, I'm I'm a hundred percent the same. My I try to check all the social media shit only once a week, like on the weekends, you know, because it's a nice way to stay in touch with friends and family and shit like that. Um I feel like Twitter and LinkedIn are useful for business, but then it's funny. Like I always think I'm like I look at some of the shit that people say on Twitter and I'm just like, aren't you embarrassed with this point of view? 
Like, it seems absurd. And it's hard. It's hard because I'm like, oh, shouldn't we be promoting shit? And shouldn't I have a point of view on this and that? And I'm like, dude, this is... If somebody walked up to me in a bar and was like, why doesn't anybody do... Why? This seems so useful. And then yeah. people reply and they're like, yeah, that's a great. I love that thing. I will just be like, what a ridiculous conversation. And that's like what Twitter seems like to me. So it's hard for me to buy into it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Twitter and LinkedIn are pr probably pretty useful. I haven't been like following what has happened to Twitter after the like Elon Musk purchase. I imagine yeah, yeah. it's probably good. You know, who the fuck knows? Seems, seems similar. Yeah, I don't that, Yeah, I mean, maybe that was the point. I don't think we were meant to see a huge change. He fired 70% of his engineers and didn't have any change. So maybe that's a testament to. Well, Totally. I mean, that's kind of this Silicon Valley fucked up over hiring. I do use much Substack. I'm, I'm a massive Substack user. That's my go-to now. I, I, I use that more than anything on my phone for sure. I'm hoping it doesn't become like somehow toxic because it it feels like it's in a really nice top place. I use it and I use the like it reads to you if you need it to read to you. So I use it when I'm driving. They're winning more and more and more of my time. I really there, like it. There's this one dude that I really like. I actually, like a long time ago, I remember like I used to date his sister and I went over to their house for Thanksgiving and this dude like fucking smacked me down at a debate. I mean, he was like a couple of years older, so maybe my brain hadn't formed yet, but I was like, holy fuck, this guy is so goddamn smart. And uh, lo and behold, he's like a super popular Substack now. So I like reading his. And what's his name? My what's his son? Son? Oh, he, yeah. uh, Michael yeah. Solana. Solana. Yeah. yeah. Check him out. Our wires. Very fucking good. He's got like these like just very interesting takes, like non-obvious takes on things. Um, everything from like the whole Titan submarine fiasco to, you know, I don't know, things in politics. It's super interesting. I like his shit a lot. Michael Solana Substack. There he is. A billionaire media tycoon and mayor of San Francisco. That's not, I mean, that's just the fucking troll. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I didn't know. Maybe I thought maybe he was a media billionaire tycoon, but then he said he was the mayor of San Francisco, which I know wasn't true. So it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> he's got he got me. Yes, yeah, he's a smart dude. Um, so and then check I, him out. Yeah, there are a couple other sub stacks that I like, but but his is the one that I really that I like the most. And I feel like I don't know if you have smart friends generally that tell you about like what's going on. Like you don't need to like read the news. You just like are hanging out at dinner and they're like, "Have you heard that there might be a coup in Russia?" And you're like, "What?" And like you go and you read the New York Times. You're like, oh, "I see. This is kind of crazy." Other than that, yeah, I don't know. I, I like jujitsu, so sometimes I'll catch myself like scrolling like youtube videos on like training videos and and i can lose like 20 minutes that way but i generally can avoid like you know like just the stupid that vapid like motivational stuff which i have gotten sucked into before like if you've had a tiktok you know it's like some jack dude working out and you're like okay cool next one next one next one yeah yeah um, I have to check that out. I, I really haven't. I've never even used TikTok, so I, I, I'm way behind here. Save yourself, dude. Okay, I will try. I will try. Yeah. There, there is like sometimes though, like, so I have a small garden. Like I, I'm sure it's like nothing like yours, but it's like there is some stuff like topical stuff if you're interested in like obscure subject matter. It is very good at funneling you into an interest zone. Yeah. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. I mean, for example, this seems silly, but I learned like you have to clean like your dishwasher filter like quite often, like often than you'd expect, more often than you'd expect. Thanks to TikTok. Now I'm like, dude, I didn't even know this was a thing. Like, I've never done that. So I am I like gonna die? <laughs> nah, you're gonna be gross hot though. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh man. Oh. Yeah, it's it's real easy. It's not hard. It's just not a thing that you think about. Yeah, it's like, totally. Unless it gets clogged, I never go in there. And then when I and when it has gotten clogged, I was like, oh, oh yeah, dude. Well, I just assumed that was like a one-off time, but I guess that's just what happens. Yeah, over time. Yeah, totally. Well, because like you know, I don't know if you so like probably previous to your current property, I don't know, you may have rented before. I mean, yeah, it's your, I did, yeah. You just you're moving in. Landlord maybe took care of it, maybe didn't, and you move before it becomes an issue. But if yeah, you're yeah. Place for like two years, three years. Year two, you need to clean that shit. Yeah, so yeah. 
That's I know what I'm doing at the end of this podcast now. I'm going to get... <laughs> what what subsects do you like, by the way? I got to get a couple new ones. Um, Man, see, this is one of my biggest fears is people are people are very judgmental nowadays you know like and 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 it's tough to i i actually have my sub stack as an on an anonymous account because i don't i don't share what i what i've been after because because especially here in the bay area people people are not very tolerant of views outside of their own views. And I actually share many of the views out here, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm not like, partic- I'm not, I don't want to come across like, oh my gosh, this guy must be like reading like Ku Klux Klan articles. <laughs> like I'm, I'm from Canada. I very much have the Canadian progressive liberal values in my life. But the value that I have most is like tolerance for other people, even people that I significantly disagree with. Yep. Um, and that's not okay here. In fact, I don't even know. That might be all of America right now. There's like very little tolerance for people uh, that don't think the same way as you, right? No one's really interested in a debate. They just want to like decide whether you're in their tribe or not pretty much as soon as they meet you. And then they, they either like you for that or not. So I don't share what I, I read. Even if I think you and me are aligned, even if I think your audience would be like, yeah, I'm with that. I just don't, I won't do it because it's guaranteed that like you just immediately are put into a tribe and then people want to fight. And I'm like, what? And not just fight with you for like the reason of like debate and coming to a common conclusion or, or, or learning about someone else's life. It's like they want to tell you you're an idiot and that you need to change. And it, and and if you won't, then they hate you. So there's like actual real costs nowadays to like sharing what you like and don't like. And if the wrong, you know, person thinks it comes across it and you were hoping to, you know, do business with them or, or work with them, it can be it can be weird. Not that you'd want to after you found out that they hate you for something that you think, but uh, still, you just never know. And it causes, to me, it actually causes more friction. So unfortunately, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna share them. That's I'll so- share them with you after. You and me could chat after, but yeah, I, I don't I'll put stop, it out there. I'll stop recording, but I'll ask you again. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's interesting is like actually just today. So we send like a weekly newsletter, like every Friday. Some dude straight up just replied to my newsletter email with like. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, Tasia. Like, like that was the reply. And so, what, I mean, it's like a thing because when you're sending emails and like somebody's like, didn't I fucking unsubscribe to this shit? Fuck you, you guys suck ass. You know, that type of shit. Like, people yeah. get really upset. And so I used to not be on this podcast. This was actually run by like a previous head of marketing, the podcast and the newsletter. Is it? And I've just kind of been stepping in as we look to like hire like a new vp for the role and scale that team yeah yeah and the first couple of times i've been on the podcast and writing the newsletter i've been like really careful about like not having a point of view that's offensive and like not swearing and like not saying potentially offensive. swearing i can't help and i I, you're you're the same way i guess i can't now dude i grew up in new york so it's just this is what it is and so but over time it might have cost us some dollars but I actually kind of feel like owning like my own beliefs. This is for me. It actually like for people that like genuinely know me, it actually increases like their trust of me because they know like I'm the same person in every domain. And like, you know, like people that I work with closely in the company, like know that I'm like, know that I have some sort of like, let's say I have a, I have a certain belief. And it may not be the typical tech CEO belief. And that's okay. You know what I mean? And like they they're either cool with it and they like to work with me, or they're not cool with it and they're strong enough on that stance where they're like, fuck this guy, I don't want to work with him. Why even operate a company if you're not going to make it like a reflection of like things that you believe in? That's my point to be. So I don't know. Who knows? I might get fucking stoned to death in San Francisco though. So I don't know. <laughs> it's it's a lot of places man and like it you're seeing it more and more i mean look covid was such a good example of that i mean there there was no conversation about what things we should and shouldn't do it was just like people on the tv said this is how we do it and i have no data to back that up and i don't want to have a debate about it you either believe that or you don't like we either keep kids out of school because that's what the big guy said to do or you're the Nazis. And you're like, what? Like, no, like, I think there's just a real conversation about like, should kids not be allowed to see each other for years? 
hundred percent. I think that's a worthwhile debate. Like, and, and also, like, we should just look. Like, are they at like major risk? Like, let's just have the conversation. Let's just bring up the data. And it was like, no. You either you want to go to war, and I'm just not in the phase of my life where like I need to be going to war all the time over shit. I want to build fucking. I want to save water. I I want to focus on that. And so the more you share and talk about these other things, the more you get dragged into it, and then you're just either like, uh, being libeled and then you have to you have to respond because you want to protect your reputation and now you're sucked in or you don't you don't get involved at all or you don't say anything about it and then you just get libeled so it's like i don't know it seems it seems like it's not worth it i i don't i don't know i don't have the profile that's good enough to actually make an impact on these people on people anyway and so it's like whatever i just i i get you especially like when you have a team you have investment you have customers it's like you have like a duty like a fiduciary duty to like execute for them and like make sure to stay focused on that and it's real easy to like piss away your emotional energy well and you have channels to communicate to them directly like i can i believe me i share what i believe in my values on my slack i share it to my team i share it during my hiring i i tell them everything but i don't need to share it on you know uh, in front of a million other people because i don't care about those like why do what like I don't know those people. I'm going to certainly not change almost any of their minds, but I am certainly going to enrage a lot of them. And then they're just, and then what? So there's all this cost downside. And then there's like no upside. And then you're like, well, if I care about informing my team, I'm just going to use a different channel. If I care about talking to my customers, I mean, I, I literally have every single one of their phone numbers that just reach out, right? I don't need to. Yeah. So that's why I just try to be careful because I, unfortunately it feels like that that's what i was saying in 2016 it feels like it all changed man. it all changed because before that it felt like there was a lot more openness to have debate and conversation and then all of a sudden it's just like yeah no that's not going to happen anymore so then i stopped just stopped what? sharing online it didn't make any sense for me you don't have to do this but i challenge you at some point good sir to start dripping out some of your controversial opinions yeah see what happens i'm yeah, not yeah no it's a good challenge art but you know uh i don't know half the time though i think chris and abby they're like rated and tasia you can't say that <laughs> okay so how far is occidental from san francisco by the way it's like an hour walls like if you were driving on a good day, hour and a half, if you were driving on a very busy traffic time, it could be over two hours. So when did you guys move out there to Occidental? A couple of years ago? 2019. Just oh, before, damn. yeah, before COVID. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. So you before missed... it was cool. Before it was cool. <laughs> yeah, I know. So you missed basically like the lockdowns and all that shit like in... Yeah, I was already living up here. It's a town of a thousand people, unincorporated little rural community. So not not to say there wasn't like, uh, um, you know, restrictions. There was, but, and, you know, certainly hurt some of our local businesses. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, my kids was super young, you know, so she was zero, just born. And we live up, yeah, in this like piece of land out in the middle of friggin' nowhere. So honestly, it was just kind of like we were up here for a weekend thinking it was just going to be two weeks to flatten the curve and then like two thousand days later we were like had two kids and we had all these animals and shit and we and, and we saw on the news like what was happening but we you know we were already like pretty isolated so we would just like invite friends over and drink wine and and then our town was pretty cool they opened up pretty early and like some great restaurants and stuff kind of kept kept rolling and, and gave us some some stuff to do but yeah we were pretty well, much out of it so what is what is like rural California feel like? Does it feel like what I imagine like LA? I mean, I I've been to like SoCal, like Orange County. Never been to LA, and I've been to San Francisco a couple of times, and it has a certain feel to it. That's I don't know, almost like depending on where you go. If you're going out at night, the city feels like crazy and incredible. But if you like walk around in certain parts of San Francisco in the day, you're kind of like this is kind of sketchy. Does yeah, yeah. I mean, do you feel any of that in Occidental or is it like a totally rural town? No, no. Yeah, we're really far away. Like Cal- California, I think this, I'm not Americans and I've only lived in so many places. It's hard to generalize. But um, from yep. my experience, this is the strength of America. This is why I really love it, being here. The diversity of people uh, is, is, is and of views and of ways of living is Wait. dramatic just from like county to county. Yeah, like 
the county north of me is so different than this county, is so different than Napa, is so different than the San Francisco, and then so different than Marin. And it, it, you don't need to go far to have like an to get an entirely different experience, an entirely different you know philosophy and viewpoint. Um, that fragmentation is really cool. It's been like we said, it's it's turning to be un, unfortunate online that 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 kind of fragmentation's um, been has been taken advantage of to create anger and clicks um but in the real world it actually is quite a strength because you know it can be you can go if you don't like san francisco you can move one and a half hours north and you can have an entirely different experience so my county to be you know to use a generalization is is like it feels very hippie it's Uh like and it 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 was that way when but the old hippies not today's hippies (laughs) the hippies the old hippies that were like you know (laughs) anti-government not the hippies that are like you know, Pro today's hippies. I'm also just making a joke because they're not, it's not anti government. It's, uh, it's like this is where the communes were born, like back in the 50s and 60s. This is where, like, real, like, this is where, like, uh, magic mushrooms kind of came. You know, t- t- uh, Terrence McKenna and others lived here for a long time. No, some, some of the Grateful Dead played here. That some guys from, from some very iconic bands have, have moved and lived in Occidental. There's a good mu- music scene out this way. So, and then there's the wine community and the wine country. So there, it's a cool blend of like some hippie uh, sentiments and mentality mixed with some of that money that's come from the Bay uh, mixed with some of the music and art scene. That's kind of been, you know, big in and around the Marin and, and Sonoma counties for a long time mixed with the wine community and the rural a- attitude. So it's a cool little blend of a bunch of different topics. And then because, it's not a big city, you know, I'm a thousand people, Sebastopol's maybe a few, 10, 10,000, 20,000 people. I don't know. Something like that. Nothing. Healdsburg's this beautiful little town, um, with a lot of wealth, but it's again, not very large. So you, we don't, uh, you know, fortunately, I guess we're just not big enough to like deal with a lot of the things that occur in a large city like San Francisco or LA. Yeah. Totally. So, but it's totally different. And, and I love that about America. I mean, you just drive from county to county, you just get a totally different vibe. And I'm just talking about a tiny little reason. You drive to the Central Valley, it's a totally different vibe. You drive into LA, totally different vibe. Orange County, totally different vibe. So it's uh, it's kind of cool. Yeah, that's dope. That's cool, man. Okay, so where in Canada are you from? I should have asked a little earlier, but. Uh, just outside of Toronto. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. this little town called Whitby. Okay. Did you grow up like in a city or was like small town? It was like a mid-sized suburb town. It was right on the edge of like the rural part of, 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 of where the rural part of that area begins and then Toronto. So it was sandwiched right in between. And, uh, in many ways, like that was how I was able to live, you know, like I, I definitely didn't go to the city much as a kid, but, uh, you know, it influenced us a lot. And then yeah, also you could drive 40 minutes in one direction and be in the middle of nowhere on your friend's dad's farm and like have a, having beers out there. So it was, uh, it was cool. It was a cool part of the country. Totally. You know, I mean, the one observation that I've made is like the tech industry attracts like people that are very independence minded and like individualistic, but then to kind of like succeed in parts of the tech world, you kind of have to join like the hive mind. And then I think people get to a certain point where they're like, fuck this. I don't want to be a part of this. And then they migrate to like, I don't know, Northern California or they Tennessee, go. Austin, hundred percent. And like this loop where I could see like, you get a guy who, or a girl who goes and works at Facebook for like two years and is like, this actually sucks, leaves and then moves to like, I don't know, fucking Jackson or something. But I guess Jackson's also now like super There's popular. There's an archetype for that for sure but i know lots of people that stay and and they uh really they, yeah they stick it out and they but I, yeah definitely covid changed a lot like that when people could work remote i think yeah i want i think this must have happened in most cities but certainly happened a lot in san francisco just i, I could speak to it because i was there but a lot of people were like why would i pay so much money to live in downtown san francisco it's not i really that much going on um when most of my time I go hiking in Tahoe anyway. I'll just go live in Tahoe. Or most of my time I go surfing down in Santa Cruz anyway. I'll just go live there. Or like, yeah, I love Austin. I love the vibe out there. And like, why would I, you know, I just want to get, try my hand at that. So that definitely created a migration for sure. And, and we see it up here even. You know, a number of young families have moved up this way and basically just said, yeah, like, 
I get way more for my money. I get a bunch of land, nicer weather. A wine country is right next door. You know, I'm always in wine country anyway. So why wouldn't I, you know, I might as well pay half, half the rent and get 20, 30 minutes less drive. Or I don't, I don't know what the rationale, but I think we saw that. Totally. So, okay. So with Lumo, are most of your customers kind of like vineyards or do you guys? Yeah, we focus a lot on vineyards. That's like our biggest area of focus. I think we're applicable to pretty much any drip irrigating crop at this time, but um, we like focus, focus, focus. It, cool. it, it makes you better for your customers when you know them better, you know? Cool. Yeah. How do you, so how do you build like an irrigation technology company? What's the team composition like? If I knew, man, I'd already be, a, a, <laughs> you know, a unicorn, but, uh, you know, I'm doing my best. Hey, you're on your way. I mean, you got the passion for it. So it's just, you know, a matter of time. Yeah. I mean, the way uh, I try to do it is just try to go be an irrigator, man. Like literally I went and worked as an irrigator, you know, like you'll know, you'll know what problems they have by doing the job. Um, and by spending a lot of time with customers that do the job and just asking them a lot of questions, looking at their competitors and how they're using them and not using them. And I, I, I'm, I, I think that's like my number one kind of philosophy is just like customers first, go, 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 go see the customers, go live in their shoes. Then you'll come out of it with a lot of like, well, you'll come out of it with one or two really big ideas about what needs to change. Um, and then you'll also learn their language, which helps with your marketing. You know, you'll learn their network, which helps with your sales. So that's what I did. I just decided like, fuck it. I'm going to go be an irrigator. That's sick. And I still kind of do that. You know, now I'm a plumber. I plumb in all of our stuff. And so that, but again, it's like, I'm trying to learn how does my product get installed, right? It's not going to get adopted if that installation process is shit. You know, I can never build right. channel partnerships if I built a product that is only able to be installed or supported by a very specialized group of my team. So getting out there and learning, like, what is the actual physical process to put one of these in? What's the physical process to run one of these? What's the physical process um, to have an irrigation meeting who's at that meeting and how do they talk about what's upcoming and, and their plans for irrigating and, and, you know, how do they then open my platform and try to use the buttons and the interface to get that job done, you know, just taking notes and notes and sharing it to the team, making the team come and do the same thing, you know, like putting everyone in the field as often as you can. How do you balance like, like, let's say you go to like an irrigation meeting and I assume you have like a guy or girl who like runs your, technology department like and probably the software interface for the thing and you're like oh, okay i see that they're getting stuck here they're getting tripped up here how do you actually give them the notes or are you like go join the next meeting like how do you try to bounce between letting them do their own thing versus like you see a problem you want them to fix it that's what the pm's job is 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 to take all the all the is to know the customer really well and to know what that customer needs to be successful and then to set the north star of what you know what 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 how are you measuring that success how are you measuring that the, that you know customer is getting value out of the platform um and then for our look looking at every request that either they've come up with or you've asked them or they've seen in a meeting or the engineers have identified or, or customers have emailed and to try to rank them in terms of their impact on the north star and then their job is to decide which ones to build not my job. My job is to just like try is to is to de is to desperately try to represent the, the customer for as best I can understand it, and that's often very compelling, and it often does make for for things to rise to the top of the order. But I don't. I mean, I tried to, to make sure the team doesn't think, oh, that's just the CEO said to do it. I need to go do it. I try to just like only bring things from the lens of the customer when it's when it makes sense, and then the PM is going to have me as one input and all these other inputs and it's up to them. That's fucking cool. I, I admire that. Well, because if you don't do that, I, my first company, we didn't know how to do that. And we had a lot of churn, a lot of just like building so many features and doing so many things because I would be dumb enough to wake up one day and be like, Oh, you know, it'd be really cool. Like this seems cool. And not, I wasn't doing it thinking like, Oh, now go build it. Yes. I didn't do that, but I didn't appreciate that. Like, Yes. Me saying that was going to have this weight, and then like people were going to go away and be like, "Well, he said we got to do that thing. Like, let's go build it." And then I'd come back two weeks later and I'd be like, "We built this thing," and that'd be, you know. But then the sales team would be pissed because they'd be like, "Did you build my thing? The thing that actually is going to drive dollars? Or actually going to drive usage?" 
No, I built the CEO's thing because I heard him say this was important or this client was calling him telling him they work with us. We had this stupid feature and no signed contract, no commitment. Then the deal doesn't close. And now you've got too many features and too much churn. And so I've tried to like get out of the way of doing that. And I've also tried like really only to do that when my conviction is coming from like a direct experience with paying customer or someone who I know has got a commitment, right? I have the tendency to like, I've been a sales call or something. I'm like, this guy said this, we need to fucking do it like right now. And then my team is like, are you sure? Like, so I have to kind of watch myself and make sure that there's some good customer data coming behind my opinions on shit. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, sweet, man. I want to stop recording and then ask you actually what you like reading. Uh, <laughs> I can give you good water books. I can give you all sorts of good stuff related to that. I'm, you know, that I love actually, yeah, yeah. Tell, tell me like what's a good if I want to understand like the water problem or if I want to understand more like maybe just about like the pain that somebody who's like growing crops and shit feel feels around getting enough water like what's a good starting place water paradox okay is so good it is the best book I've read at at highlighting how we've built our kind of systems around water around appropriation and what needs to change to shift towards like efficiency thinking and being better with the resource we have awesome book really recommend it easy read well written and then the other is let there be water by seth siegel and that is a just a killer well-researched story of drip irrigation and israel and how israel kind of went from being this place that no one really thought could sustain populations because it's in the desert and didn't have like much water to being you know, five times bigger than they expected and to being a net water exporter and a net agricultural exporter. Um, and it it speaks specifically to the story of drip irrigation, which I think is just like such an exciting technology and has so much potential to grow and will grow. It, it uses that story to kind of dive deeper into the Israeli culture and, and po- policy and relationship to water that it was is so healthy and cool. And it's a, it's a nice read to follow on after water paradox because it's a good anecdote of people doing it right. People recognizing the need for change and efficiency and making it happen through, you know, culture and technology and, and lots of fun stuff. So also a very easy and good read. Those are the two for sure. They're great. Awesome. Where can people find you on the interwebs? LinkedIn. That's the <laughs> spot. Okay. Go to Devin's LinkedIn, everybody. I'm sure he's got some good stuff. And that's the only social platform he uses. So it's probably- I'm on there all the time. It's the only one that sucks up all my attention. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for having having us. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast powered by Gunt.io. We drop two episodes per week. So if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and come hang out with us again next week and bring all your internet friends. If you have questions or recommendations, just shoot us a Twitter DM at The Frontier Pod, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.